God is good. Amen. He's faithful. I love a good move of God. Anybody? I love a good goosebump. Anyone? I love it when the worship's going and... Oh, I can hear something. There's some music. I think it might be in the foldbacks. I don't know where Sam is. Is it through there? Oh, what some oh it might be the kids having fun. Oh well. Should, should we join them? They might be having more fun than we are. Um, wonderful, all right. Um, where was I? Yes, I love thanks, Chris. He's probably checking it out. Um, yeah. Don't you love a good move of God? Pentecostal church, aren't we? Uh, go on, say move of God. Go on, move of God. Say glory. Now say it like a Welsh Pentecostal, because that's who I am. Come on. Say it properly to me, like, you know, glory. We love a good move. We're, we're, not, we're not Stoics. We're not afraid of emotion. Anybody else? Some of you are like, well, I'm not quite sure. Some of, you, some of the men are going, oh, I'm a Stoic. You know, wait till the Holy Spirit gets you. Knocks you off your donkey. And uh, then the donkey starts talking. I'm putting two stories together there, but anyway. I love a good move of God. I love... When you say move of God, what do you think? If God is moving in your life, what do you think that, that means? What, what does it conjure up? For me, if I'm honest, you know, yes, prophetic things. God speaking. Anybody love it when God comes to you in a dream? I like it when my, my sleep is useful. And you wake up not having had a nightmare or just worried through the night about things. But you go, God came to me in my dreams. And if you get that for three nights in a row, are you like me as a Pentecostal? You start to think, I'm in a move of God. When, any, when anything starts to stack, three good meetings in a row, and I think, we're in a move of God. If, if people get saved three weeks in a row, I think, we're in a move of God. I like it. If, if you get a few healings in a row, we're in a move of God. Um, we use, you know, I love the language. Um, I, I'm not quite sure that we're theologically accurate with it. Because here's the thing, God is moving all the time. It's just we put labels on the ones that we like. Come on, work with me. I, lo I love the goosebumps. I love it when the worship's hot and the healings are often and salvation and good services and, ooh, and dreams and... God speaking and I feel good about life. But so I, and I absolutely agree that is a move of God. But I think as Pentecostals, we do sometimes misunderstand that God moves in lots of other ways. <laughs> and I'm going to preach about that this morning. Is that okay? I'm going to preach about all the other moves of God that don't have goosebumps. That's my title. I don't know how you'll fit it on the podcast, Chris. All the moves of God that do not have goosebumps. Because whether you're in one now or you're about to hit one or you've had one and you need to redefine it and, and redeem the thought of it in your life. Now, it doesn't mean that everything that's happening in your life is a move of God. Um, there are different moves, experiences, moments and seasons in life. Am I right that you've got... You've got moves of flesh. Yeah. Um, you've got moves of the devil. Um, I, I'm trying to de define this one because we'll have all been through it. We've got moves that you might want to call, no, that wasn't God or the devil. It was me being a plonker. 
Anybody have that kind of move? I can't blame God, the devil, anybody. I was done. People say, I've got a marriage problem. Or they say, I've got a money problem. I've got a relationship problem. Usually, after a bit of counseling, you work out, you don't have any of those things. You've got a wisdom problem. You're being an idiot. And, you know, a lot of the pain in our lives comes be when we behave like idiots. And that, that, still, that still is true. But there is another move. And, and, you know, life is complex, is it not? So it's impossible to really teach it from the front. This is something that you need to work out in your own heart with you and God and maybe some good counsel. But So you're sitting there, whatever you're going through this week, you, you need to define what is happening. Is, is this a plonker move? Is this a flesh move, which is probably pretty well twinned with a plonker move? Is this the devil, and I need to go at it all guns blazing, and you really need to define this in your life, or is this God? And I want to bring you, let's see if we get to seven. I could do 77, but you never know, we might get to seven. Moves of God that come without goosebumps, but it's God acting on your behalf, but it doesn't feel good. I didn't get a single amen. All I got from my mum was <sighs> another one of those messages. Thank you, son. We'll be having words over lunch. That's all I really got from that. <laughs> there are moments and seasons in life, and defining them and understanding them, we can grumble that it's the devil. We can just feel guilty that we've made mistakes. But actually, there might be some things going on that you go, actually, you know, that's God. Shortest verse in the Bible, what is it? Come on, those that have overdosed on American faith preaching, which I have in my life, I, I literally, all my training was out of the faith movement, but most of the, of the real faith movement understand that as well as knowing how to be abound and abase and content and release, move mountains with faith, if, you, if you're living a real life and not one that's psychologically damaged, if you're living a good life, psychologically damaged by bad theology, I mean, if you're living a good life, you'll realize even when it's God, you'll weep. Here was Jesus in the middle of a move of God. He even knew what was going to happen next. He had the, the, the capacity to see from the balcony of heaven and know Lazarus is going to be raised because that's the context of that verse. He knows he's going to raise Lazarus, but in his compassion for us who live on the timeline of our experience, he saw the agony of friends and family, and he cried with them. And he was in a move of God. Wow. So can I give you a few moves? Here's the first one. The first move you're going to face is trials. Yeah. I'm not expecting any amens. This is just medicine. This is surgery this morning. So, oh, look, look at my Bible. Look at it. Look at Genesis. Look. Right. <clears throat> I'm not showing you my Bible to make me look holy. I'm just showing you this is what a life well lived looks like. I don't mean me. I literally mean... This Bible's more valuable to me than a brand new, new one. Why? Because I can remember every meeting. I can remember every psalm that got me through a dark season. Look at it. It's a mess. It's held together with gaffer tape nicked from the PA team. You know, Genesis is literally stuck together with sellotape. There is scribble. There's so much scribble I can't always read the text, which I know is wrong. So listen, 
you might feel a bit like this this morning, but you're more valuable than ever. You might be weeping, but you're more loved than ever. You, you might be going through a season where anxiety and pressure and oppression and the devil and torment, is, sadness and grief is grabbing you. You're in a move of God. You're in a move of God. So let me read some scriptures. James puts it this way. One thing you are going to face, sorry to tell you, is trials. <laughs> Lordy, help us. James 1 verse 2, what should we do with trials? Oh. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials. And there's not just one sort, you know, pick it off the shelf, what am I in? A trial. Oh, we know what that looks like. No, he says, when you face trials of many kinds. So you're going to have your wits about you. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. In Luke 3 and 4, we find, listen to this phrase, an oppressed Jesus. He was fasting in the wilderness and the devil was tempting him, and the devil was trying to toy with his mind. Who knows what was going through his emotions? But we do know, you know, the most obvious verse in the whole Bible, at the end of it, he says, at the end of the 40 days, he was hungry. Does anybody get hangry? Is that just me? At the end of 40 days, he was hungry. Uh, and, and we know from the book of Isaiah, Jesus experienced oppression. So don't think it's strange when you go through something where you go, why are my emotions, my body, my mind going through this? What is happening? Jared, where's the goosebump? Get me a better worship song. You might just be in a trial. Why? Because without trials, we never become mature. God is not enthroned on the goosebumps of his people. We're going to go through trials and suffering. I said it last time I spoke. If you read the life of Joseph, by the time he gets to the end of his life, he actually uses the phrase that when he faces his brothers, he says, it was not you that put me in the pit. It was God. I mean, what kind of a, a, a perspective is that? Now, please note, he wasn't a perfect Christian. Even when he came to the palace, he did not seek out his brothers for about a decade. In other words, he wasn't in a rush for reconciliation, <laughs> right? He has stood there in the palace, and then his brothers come, and he weeps, and he breaks down, and he sees from the balcony of heaven, you didn't put me in the pit. How, how do you say that? It was the hand of God that put me in a pit. Now, here's what I'm trying to get to. Listen to this point. With the faith of of a heavenly perspective. And this is almost impossible, what I'm about to say to you, but I might as well say it anyway, because don't we specialize in impossible things? Joseph could have stood in that pit and gone, hmm, right, I think I'm in a move of God. <laughs> he could have done. I'm not saying he could have done, but he could have done. Maybe if he'd have been a quietened his emotions, stopped wanting to bop his brothers on the nose, sat down and go, what's going on? Maybe the dreamer could have dreamt in the pit, oh, this is the pathway to the palace. Who knows that it's one thing to dream it, it's another thing to occupy it. So he could have worked with me, because this is where we're going to go with every point. He could have. 
Now, with the beauty of, you know, my, my best gift? I, hindsight. I'm really good at it. It's even stronger than my prophetic gift. Hindsight. With the wonder of hindsight, we know from the Bible that Joseph could have. He, he, he would have to define, have I put me in the pit? Has the devil put me in the pit? If he'd have been asking these questions, who knows what God might have said to him? He could have because, you know, what was it, 20 years later or so? At that point, he was going, God put me in that pit. Come on, work with me, people. You're not liking the preacher today. Uh, he could have gone, hang on a minute. Even though everything in my flesh is anxious and irritable, something deep in my spirit says, God is up to something. You have to access that God is up to something when a trial hits. <laughs> there he was, put in the pit, and he's in a move of God. When you go through a trial, what's the value of it? You're going to become mature. If you want to remain a baby Christian, run away from every trial, and then you'll arrive in heaven, and you'll start in kindergarten. You'll get to heaven, but you'll be with the babies. If you want to be mature, face trials. Catch the phrase, face trials and tests of your character and nature. Why? Because they're going to cause you to rise above your own flesh and humanity and go, no, there is a God in heaven. This just I've worked out this isn't the devil. I've worked out it's not me being dumb. I've, there's something in this, and only you can work out for your circumstance. There's something in this that is God. Therefore, I'm going to walk with the dignity of a king, and though even though I'm in an abased season, God is on the move. Even in a pit, you can sit and go, hey, what's happening down there? All your brothers cry. Look up and go, I'm in a move of God. Come on. Start to get heaven's perspective. Grown up teaching this morning. So trials. Here's the second one. Waiting is another move that we don't like. Somebody say, please stop preaching about it because we want the waiting to stop. Yes, they did, and the Israelites in the desert did. Moses, you brought us out here to die. No, I'm following the cloud. We'll get there if we trust. Luke 2, here's a great story of waiting. We've got Jesus presented at the temple, um, and then he disappears on the way back home. Remember that? He's separated, and, he's, and, and, and uh, the, the parents, uh, mum and dad, well, sort of dad, go look for him. Uh, verse 48, Luke 2, 48, when his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said, son... Why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? He said. Uh, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. Listen to this verse. This is how to sum up the next 17 years in his life. Do you realize that there are going to be 17-year seasons in your life that will be summed up by a single verse in your biography. And when you're in the middle of those 17, you want, I want something fun to happen. Well, that's kind of up to you how you treat life while you're waiting. Listen, here it is, verse 52. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Why do we have long 
I'm plucking a number, so don't, you know, we're using the picture of it, so don't take it literally, but 17 years. It, I say 17 because it makes it sound nice and long. You know, we read the book of Daniel and we think, it must be a dream, a vision, an encounter every three weeks. No, no, there's three years between that one, 13 years between that one, 17 years between that one. What's happening between? Live a good life. Be a good husband. Be a good dad. Learn to change your underwear on time. Just live and live well. So that when God uses you, he doesn't have to use a plonker. He can use a well-developed, grown-up person. Some people want to be a man of God. They haven't even become a man yet. And so learn to change your underwear. Was it Joyce Meyer that says, learn to wash the dishes, right? We're trying to change the world. We can't change our own beds yet. Why do we go through growing seasons? Even Jesus, even Jesus went through a long period of I mean, he was ready. He was in the temple, amazing them with questions and answers. One year. Two year. I'm going to do it all, Linus. Three year. Four year. I'm not going to do it all, Linus. It's taking too long. <laughs> 17 years. What's going on? I'm in a move of God. You mean waiting is a move? Yeah. Waiting is a move of God too. Why? Because there's things that happen in waiting that don't happen in receiving. There's things that will happen in you in a season of waiting. You see, receiving changes your circumstances, but waiting changes you. And the most important thing is that we need to be changed. And the waiting, okay, we're not receiving the change to our circumstance, but in the waiting... I don't know about you, you're driven to your knees. Your prayer life is the best it's ever been. Right? The great danger of the children of Israel, Israel was the moment they did receive the promise, they'd start to forget God. And that happened again and again through. So God knows he's got you when he's got you waiting. He's got you in the Bible school to develop Christ in you. Why? Because you're on your knees. You're getting humble. You say, okay, God. Does anybody have promises that you go to God? Just, can you not just take it away? Because I'd rather not believe this thing anymore. It's like a a Abraham and Sarah with the, with the baby. You know, it'd just be easier to give up and move forward. But something in your heart from God just keeps going. So wait. And a year later, wait. And a year later, but when God? Soon. You're in a move of God if you're waiting in a godly way. Number three, pruning is another move of God that doesn't feel so good. John 15, Jesus speaking. It's in red, so we've got to listen. John 15, verse 1, I am the true vine. My Father is the gardener. I love the intimate hands of God on our lives. But listen to what God does, verse 2. He cuts off Every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. So even, even good stuff gets reduced. Why? So that it'll be even more fruitful. Simple thought. It's impossible to be pruned and not end up smaller. So God is reducing you. I'm in a move of God. 
if we think because of a misplaced concept of faith and triumph that the charts always have to go up, we don't understand God. He's a gardener. And actually, it's when the pruning happens and the reduction happens, and it never feels nice, there's always a sense of grief and loss, isn't it? Because we, we are by nature wired to want to accumulate and, 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 and build a nest around us of security. But in pruning, <laughs> we're in the move of God. There's always a, uh, I, I've got to say this carefully now, because <clears throat> I have a speech impediment around SHs, so let's work on this one. There's always a sift before a shift. There's always a purification before a possession. He always cleanses before you get to occupy. Uh, time and again in our personal finances, I, when I know God wants to bless us, we go back to our finances and make sure every bit of obedience around it is up to date. There's no waste. There's no you know, old things hanging on to. There's no the unnecessary luxuries. I know he does provide for our enjoyment, but God, we know that everything has to be in order before the blessing will come. So when the children of Israel, Joshua, you know, those first uh, chapters in Joshua, they get to Jericho. They're on the edge of the promised land. You would think 40 years in, they'd have it all sorted. And then God says, right, uh, Joshua, get a knife, get the men, and have a move of God. How many theologians are in the room that know what I'm talking about? There was stuff cut off. It's the pruning. There's always a sift before the shift. And, it, and God does it in every single one. Gideon, that sense of less is more. It's how God moves. So when things are reducing, uh, sometimes you've got to go, hmm, I think I'm in a move of God. Amen. Number four, war. Ah. <laughs> David is facing Goliath. Well, we can even go before that, couldn't we? Facing a bear, facing a lion, and then facing Goliath. And he's in the midst of a battle zone. And don't you sometimes think that we make our spirituality a bit too, what would the word be, metaphorical and mystical? We struggle to think of a Holy Spirit that comes on a Samson and actually enables him to kill people. Do you not? Well, I do. You know, I try and put the two together because the God of the Old Testament was a, a wild Southern Baptist. The God of the New Testament is Nicky Gumbel. Do you know what I mean? And how do you, how do you put those two together? So what, what's the theological adjustment that's happened there? But remember, this God of love is also a God of, of, of mess and ripped Bibles and ripped lives and sellotaped together concepts and, and, and struggle and difficulty. And I think we leave everything a little bit too mystical in the realms of good goosebump equals God, uh, anxiety, difficulty, stress, pain, sweating droplets of blood. Oh, not God. When actually you can be in the midst of war that feels so, I'm not saying go out and fight people. Right? I think we're more grown up than that. But I want to say it can be intensely physical and emotional when you go through a thing with God. Um, here's, a, here's an example of how we might struggle with it. Does anybody remember when Evander Holyfield fought Mike Tyson for the first time? Come on, is there any men of God in the room? 
There's got to be some godly men here that understand boxing. None of this mamby-pamby football business. Get out there on your own and take on the enemy. So Evander Holyfield is a failed cruiserweight with a heart condition. Benny Hinn gets his hand on him and prophesies you'll be heavyweight champion of the world. Evander Holyfield gets in the ring with the fearsome and awesome and scary Goliath that is Mike Tyson. And uh, if you actually watched the fight, which I did, because you used to be able to watch a lot of fights without you know, emptying your bank account in those days. So uh, if you watch the fight, because Evander Holyfield, born again, spiritual Christian, gets into the ring with Mike Tyson. And when it came to the, 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 the minute between the rounds and he sat in the corner, you can see behind Evander Holyfield is one of his trainer managers stood there Hands raised like this, just praying in tongues, praying in tongues, praying in tongues. Mike Tyson said, from the first moment that Evander Holyfield hit me, I didn't know where I was. Now, most of us have a theology that doesn't have any physicality in it. It's all mystical, emotional, relational. But can I just say, God is really used to the mess of real life and the, and the stuff of real life. What am I trying to say by this? Is that we're going to be in some some wars with the devil, and it's going to feel intense and anxious and difficult. Listen, God's in the mess. He does not ride on the goosebumps of his people. When you're depressed, middle of the night, going, oh God, my body is reacting in awful ways. I want you to know, God's not scared of that mess. I get anxiety. I get tears. I get weariness. I get sitting down by the well and saying, oh, blum and heck, just somebody give me a drink. But then he's got the ability to click into a ministry moment and see a village transformed. Come on, John 4. Our God is the God of real life. Don't leave him in the ethereal. Don't leave him outside your emotions of depression and difficulty and pain. And even read, the, read, read David in the Psalms. Read Elijah. He even understands suicidal thoughts. And he comes in and he goes, in the midst of that, come on, let's get you to a mountain of God. You're in a move of God. But my emotions are shot. Let's get you into a move of God. God is not scared of our humanity. He came as a human to show us that there are very human, emotional things that you will go through. Everything from loneliness to pain and grief and loss and tears and anxiety and stresses and hormones in your body and things going wrong. And God goes, God goes, I get it. I get it. All that that you go. Stop thinking that everyone in the room is full of goosebumps and it's only you that feels lousy. You can feel lousy and be in the middle of a move of God. Are you, trying to get, are you getting what I'm trying to say? You can feel emotionally awful and be in the middle of a move of God. You can, your worship this morning might be to say to God, God, I feel awful. I don't want to be here. And God goes, well, my, sometimes you might go, yeah, I don't want to be here either. God will go to, yes, but we're in the middle of a move of God. God, I don't feel like praying. Yes, I had that lots of time on earth too, would say the Lord. But I got up and prayed anyway. It's the goosebump isn't what makes it God. It's the faith that makes it God. It's the acknowledgement that what he's doing. Can you imagine as, a, as Jehoshaphat's choir went out in front of that army, the armies of Moab, Ammon, and Mount Seir filling the horizon before them? And of course, you know, Pastor Jehoshaphat says, send the worship team first. I'm sure they loved him for that. 
can't we send the kids workers instead or the stewards, the car park people? Please not. We're, you know, I mean, come on, Rob. We're all delicate flowers, aren't we, as worship people? You don't want to put us in front of an army. Our, our spirituality is all mystical and metaphorical and it's goosebumps. So as the army goes out, little bits of bile in their throat, probably some puking up on the corners, a few hiding at the back going, I'm sure they feel spiritual, I feel lousy. What the heck are we doing here? Thanks, Jehoshaphat. You can burn in hell. And there you are facing the armies and as they sang and as they praised God with not a goosebump in sight with nothing but stress and sweat and the smell of BO and animal dung up their feet and dust it was a desert and as men with genuine weapons can you imagine if 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 50 soldiers walked in here and they had AK-47s and Uzi machine guns and they pointed them at you and then we said now worship you might just find you've got the greatest most real form of spirituality you ever had they will not be a goosebump you will not feel good but you might just be in a move of God cut the Pentecostal claptrap you might just be in a move of God when my friend was running through the border smuggling Bibles into China chased by the police do you think he had a goosebump in sight no but he was in a move of God some days you were going to feel lousy. Jesus did too. Redeem feeling lousy. Get over yourself. Stop making your emotions your king. Jesus is our king. And he's the king of real life. And he's the king of mess. And he's the king of war. He's the king of pruning. He's the king of trials. He's the king of suffering. And if you endure with him, you'll get through. But do not make your feelings or your ego your God. You won't pass the test. God wants a grown-up church that can cope with persecution. Come on, Remy, you need to get up here and preach. You need, to, you need to realize it doesn't feel good when it's God sometimes. You only really get to know it's God when you look back 20 years later and you go, flipping heck, how did we get through that? That was a move of God. Really? No Graham Kendrick? No Rob Parker? No King of Kings Majesty in the background? No. It was blooming awful. We were sick as dogs. We were anxious. We, we were sleepless. We were shipwrecked. We went through trouble and difficulty. But it was God. Now I'm preaching good. You might be in the middle of war. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Shake your bed, make your bed to bed you go. You might be there. Listen, why, why, why are you at war? There's nearly always a war to get to the throne. You see, Goliath, Goliath was the doorway of his destiny. Not a prayer meeting. A massive giant with a big spear and sword. But David stood there like a man of God going, you know what? The fact that he's got such a big fat head, <laughs> I can't miss him. You know, I mean, I've got my sling and I'm good at that. I've got the grace of God. I'm sure he'll swerve it a bit. We'll do a bend it like Beckham and get him right in the forehead. His forehead is as big as a goal. Do you think he felt anything but indignation and boom, took the guy out? Why? Because Goliath, listen, a genuine physical threat was the doorway to the throne. If you know the story, he could have spent his life going, why, why is there so many bears in the countryside? I have to keep killing bears. Oh God, could you not keep the lions away? My prayers aren't working. I pray for less lions and he sends more lions. <laughs> He's getting you ready for something because he doesn't want you to grow up a wimp. He wants you to grow up in control of your emotions and your flesh and your ego and realize they're not God. You've got to live a destiny. Listen, in this season, God is calling his church to grow up. Yeah. 
the kind of soft, dancey Pentecostalism of the 80s is over. We're going into a persecuted season, but it's going to be persecution and glory. Because the Bible says, you understand that when you're persecuted, it's because the spirit of glory rests on you. And the devil objects to it. He'll fight to get you out of that place every way he can. So it's time to realize that you're going to have to face some genuine authorities, stare them down, and not have a nice goosebump in sight. But no, God's on my side. And right now, fella, you're the doorway to my throne. That's what Goliath was. The doorway, uh, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, a doorway to immense influence in that nation. They had to face down stuff that would have made them feel awful. <sighs> I bet when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, does it say whether they saw the one that was in there or was just the outsiders that saw it? I think it was just, but we don't know. But imagine if they did see him. And Jesus, who was already in the furnace, said, Welcome to our church service. I know it's a little hot. I'll try and turn the air conditioning up for you. The worship team will arrive in a moment. And I know every emotion in you as you got closer and closer to those, was it five times or ten times hotter burning flames than ever before? How many times? Seven, Seven times hotter than ever before. And as you approach and your skin began to, well, is it going to get hot? Or is it not going to get hot? And then suddenly you watch the ropes just pop and burn off you. And then suddenly there he is. Do you know the only place to find Jesus sometimes is right in the middle of a place that's sending your emotions left, right, and center? Jesus wept. There he was in the middle of the furnace. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We're in a move of God. War is the doorway to your throne. He won't let you take it cheaply. He won't let you occupy your land inexpensively. You will need to spend your ego on your land. You will need to spend your pride. Get to the point where I stop living by feelings and I start living on this higher plane called faith. I've heard God. This is God. Stop the mamby-pamby 1980s dancing. No, do dance. It's good to dance, but not to come on and celebrate anymore. That's just. And then you walk in, not like a Pentecostal in kindergarten, but like a king who understands how things work. Amen. <sighs> Loss. This is a weird one. Leaving things behind can be a move of God. Uh, uh, Luke 14, 26, if you're taking notes, it's that weird scripture where Jesus says, uh, if you will not hate your father and mother, families, brothers, sisters. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it so we get it all. Because it's one of those where you go, is that in the Bible? Really? <laughs> Luke 14, what did I say? 26. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them. He said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, that gives you a clue to what he's really talking about. He cannot be my disciple. Anyone who doesn't carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Um, it's a weird scripture, isn't it? Hate your father and mother. Because we, we know the, the, the Ten Commandments are honor your father and mother. So you get a long life. That's why I'm always good to my mum and dad. 
it's complete selfishness. I get to live a long time if I'm good to them. Am I good to you? Good? Good, right. Good to me. So why, why does Jesus go into, please understand this with the Gospels, Jesus preaches using hyperbole. Have I said it right? It's spelled hyperbole. I used to say hyperbole until somebody, until somebody learned me how to talk. Hyper, you know, it's like Jesus says, cut off your hand if it causes you to sin. He doesn't want you to cut off your hand. He's just showing this is so important, take it seriously. And so at some point, here he is saying, if you don't hate your father and mother and your family and your home, your own life, you can't be my disciple. If you're still in love with you and you're still in love with home, you'll never make it as a disciple. Now, he's not saying hate mum and dad relationally, because we know honor mum and dad is, is the heart of, of the commandments that he was coming to fulfill. So he's talking about a different dynamic. What is, it? What is, what is he saying? Here, here's a difficult season and moment you will almost certainly go through. There has to come a time when you leave home. In every metaphorical sense of that word. In the Christian life, there are ancient boundaries that should never be moved. But there are temporal ones that have to be moved to enter true discipleship and maturity. There has to come a moment when you go, mum and dad, the safety of the, what you've done and your home and how you've thought has been wonderful, but there must come a moment when I go, that is not enough. It's like Abraham, go, leave this place, leave your family. I'm going to do something amazing with you. And in everything that God does to grow us up, there's always a go. Now, now it, we know from the rest of Scripture, always hold things in the whole of Scripture. He is not talking about splitting up marriages. He's not talking about disowning children. He's not even talking about disowning parents, although... In certain societies, you would know that there's some people, maybe even some here, that when you became a Christian, there was a split came between you and your family. It was unavoidable. Some it's cultural and some it's even just, you know, even in, in British culture that's, that's been around long enough. It's just one of those things. But there comes a moment of loss and grief because you know, I've got to go. Abraham had to go. There has to be a moment of going, I cannot live within the kind constraints of history. We leave the ancient boundaries in place, but I need to strike out. Listen, you'll never occupy your promised land if you play safe at home. Come on, somebody. That means, means something different for everyone. See, you might, you might live at home your whole life with mum and dad. There are circumstances where it's right. I don't, I don't interpret this literally. It's the merit metaphorical of your heart has to go on a journey that's beyond your history. You cannot live within the, the control or the comfort or the fear of, I must live in the past or I must live under the shadow or the shade of someone else. You must go into all that God has for you. And in that going... Oh, on the horizon, excitement. But what about in the moment of leaving? Grief, loss, a bit confusing, hope it's the right thing. But you know what? In the middle of all those bad feelings, I think I'm in a move of God. Come on. You've got to leave some things behind, running out of time. Number six, I'll just, I'm going to do seven. You're going to get them all. Tests. Genesis 22, we find... Abraham tested. Oh boy, did this guy go through it, you know. You wonder why the Bible's here. It's just full of life lessons. 
you, you will be tested. Listen, a better word, because, because of our schooling system, the word test means something a, a little bit different to us. What it really means is prove and even, listen to this carefully, because then you'll start to like tests, elevate. Every test is an opportunity for a step up. When he's testing you, he already knows you. He is not showing himself what's in you. He's showing you so that you step up to another level of maturity, right? And in Genesis 22, we've got, they got the promised child, and, and, then, and then, then God says to Abraham, I mean, I don't get it. I wouldn't have done it this way. Uh, I'm sure most of us think, think like that. But God says, right, no, give me that child. We know he doesn't in the end. He does not have to sacrifice his son, but it's full of beautiful, prophetic, metaphorical pictures because it's in the, in the place where he was about to offer his son on the altar where we find that thousands of years later, it's in that exact place where Jesus died on a cross as the replacement lamb for our sins. But listen to what the Passion Translation says about, um, about this test. It says this, a new revelation will always bring a new test. This isn't Bible, this is the, the, uh, the commentary underneath. There is no indication that Abraham knew he was being tested. The word for tested is most commonly translated proved. The purpose of God's tests are not so that we will fail, but that he will prove that we are faithful. The Midrash shows the word for tested is derived etymologically from a word that means elevated or banner, like a flag flying high above a ship or a victory banner elevated over an army. This means that God elevated Abraham and made him great, listen to this, by testing. He made him great by testing. Test upon test meant greatness upon greatness. Stop preaching, Jared. <laughs> he does the same thing today with the spiritual seed of Abraham. We all want Abraham's faith, but do we want Abraham's trial to perfect our faith? <laughs> Make sure honestly. Tests are God's vote of confidence in our future. Say it again. Tests are God's vote of confidence in our future. The budding qualities of Christ-likeness are brought forth in every test of our faith. Listen to this last line in this commentary. Someday you may call a blessing what you once called a burden. Someday you may call a blessing what you once thought was a burden. He's going to test you. So in the middle of things you're going through, always be asking. In your journal, sit there going, Plonkerville, flesh, devil, or test? Am I in a move of God, and am I passing the tests? Amen? He wants to, he wants to test protocol. Even Jesus, the moment of his baptism, he comes up to John the Baptist. John the Baptist recognizes that Jesus is the greater and so John the Baptist goes, it's, it's, it's you that should be baptizing me. But Jesus was going through the test of protocol. No, it must be this way for righteousness' sake. You must baptize me. There's protocol in how leadership is achieved. You must pass the test or you miss God's blessing. So tests. Number seven, barrenness. Huh. And this is the last one. Let's ad-lib this one. I won't open it. Maybe a better word for, for barrenness that, that, what about this phrase? 
if you have an exaggerated sense of need in some area, I want you to know it might well be because God wants to move in that place. So the story of the whole Bible is a story about children and family. You with me? Starts out with Adam and Eve. We run all our way through to Abraham. And that's where the story, in a sense, really begins in real time. Up to then, we've just got snap it, it's snapshots uh, from, from um, oral history. But then, uh, Genesis 12, Abraham comes along. And we find out what the, the how is God going to do this thing and restore and bring, bring, bring humanity back to the place of glory? He just says this, Abraham, you're going to have a child. Problem is, Sarah's barren his wife, and remains barren for a long, long time. But the whole thing is about children, so they have to have faith in the waiting and the tests that a child is going to appear. Why? Because that is the core of the whole promise. So then, just to make the emphasis even stronger, uh, Isaac, that's the next generation, the child born of Sarah, he marries Rebecca, and she's barren. And then to emphasize it even more, to show that, listen, your barrenness is your place of breakthrough. Look at your areas of exaggerated need as perhaps a place where God wants to move and he wants to pull you out of victimhood and into a sense of, okay, I can only do this through a miracle. Maybe I'm in a move of God. Sarah, barren, I'm in a move of God. Rebecca, barren, I'm in a move of God. Uh, uh, Rachel, that was Jacob's uh, wife. Rachel, I'm barren. I'm in a move of God. <laughs> Fast forward it through to John the Baptist. Elizabeth, I'm barren. You're in a move of God. And then God's showing off when it's Mary. Let's have a virgin birth. Let's go one. I'm never going to go near a man. Now you're in a move of God. Because the whole thing is about children giving birth to miracles. Your exaggerated area of need. Maybe you've got an area of loneliness that just isn't being solved, humanly speaking. Listen, it might just be a move of God. Something needs to be birthed from that spring that you don't understand yet. So it's time to start seeking him and say, God, what move in this point of barrenness are you trying to bring about? It could be an area of financial need. It could be an area of education where you feel at a loss compared to those around about you. But God is actually going to elevate your mind with a wisdom from heaven. But he needs to get you to the place where you just go, like Scotty on the Starship Enterprise, we just cannot do it, Captain, right? You've got to be there and just go, well, I just can't do this. I can't have a child. I'm not clever enough. My family are not from the right background. I'm too traumatized. There's some area of exaggerated need in some lives, and it's precisely because in that desert land, he wants to put an oasis that will bless thousands of other people. But we must lift our head in the desert land of our own need and say, this might just be a move of God. Amen. Let's stand together in the presence of God. I think we got time for one song, Rob, as we pray and kind of seal this. Just close your eyes. Movements and seasons of God that do not have goosebumps. Trials, waiting, pruning, war, loss and leaving behind, tests and trials, barrenness and exaggerated areas of need. Just close your eyes in his presence. 
Maybe you know, even as I'm speaking, that there's some, something going on that you need to change the narrative and the story and say, oh, actually, this might be a move of God. The area of need can become a place of miracles. Tests can become a place of elevation. Leaving can actually become a place of occupying the new. War becomes a place of, I, I fought the enemy, not people, it's never people. I fought the enemy and I've occupied the throne. Pruning is the sift before the shift. Don't fear becoming smaller. God is on the move. Gideon didn't. God is on the move. In the waiting, there's stuff God does in darkness and obscurity that he does nowhere else. In trials, you will never be mature without trial and lack. It's how he's bringing his power out in you. There are seasons you will go through that when you're going through them, it will be like all hell has let loose. But I guarantee you, you will look back and say, that's when God moved. That's when God moved. Lord, would you pour your grace upon our lives today? Holy Spirit, I've been talking about not living by the goosebumps, but we sure love it when your peace floods our heart and your presence floods us. And, and we're human, so we do love to feel you and to have our emotions and anxieties soothed by the reality and the goodness of who you are. So would you flow through this place, this healing that needs to take place here today. It's people with back problems, uh, uh, people, someone in back pain, and it's connected actually to a situation going on in your life. And God just wants to bring you out of the pain of a practical situation. And it's just going to release the pain in your back as well. Father God, Father God, we just pray your release over this group right now. Your kindness. You are good. You are good. And your love endures. You are good. You are good. And your love endures.